So I had to interview Brendan Calder for my podcast. Brendan is the founder of a company I talk about extensively in my books, my blog posts, and my video blogs. And it's the company where I say I've never worked harder, had more fun, or felt more appreciated. Brendan is a serial entrepreneur who's currently a professor at the Rotman School of Management. He is so much fun to talk to. And in our interview, he shares stories, um, management advice, as well as wisdom. I am sure you're going to enjoy this interview. So welcome, Brendan. It is so great to have you here. Brendan is a serial entrepreneur. He's also the professor professor of management at Rotman School of Business, as well as the chair of the Dissotel's um, Center for Integrative Thinking at Rotman. And most importantly, um, I talk a lot in my books and in my and in my blog post about how I used to work for this organization. And I said it's the place where I felt like I worked the hardest, felt the most appreciated, and had the most fun. And that was one of Brendan's um, companies. So I had to have Brendan on. So welcome, Brendan. I, at the end, of the, there was a treat. There was a treat when you called me up and uh, we hadn't talked in, uh, since you were in the MBA program, the EMBA programs. We hadn't talked in a while. So it's good to see you again and good to talk to you again. Great. Uh, so I have to ask you. So after such a long time as a business leader, um, what led you into business school? What What is it that, that appealed to you? Uh, well, um, I wasn't looking for it. Um, um, the, at the turn of the century, that's this century, readers and listeners, uh, this century we're talking about, which is 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I, um, um, I had spent 30 years on uh, Bay Street. And, um, and I, you know, I was, so what, well, was this all there is? Is this all there is? And I, um, I decided to leave. And uh, but I wasn't going anywhere. I had a motorcycle, and I used to hike, and I did mountains and everything like that. So I had lots to do, and uh, people to see, things to do. Had a couple of kids, and uh, had a wife of at that time thirty years. It's now fifty years. You know, you know, a lot of work to be done. And um, so I just stopped. I quit. I threw my own going away party. Absolutely, <laughs> boy. Never let that organization do a going away party for you. Well, it's you about- know it's going to be done right when you do it yourself, right? Yeah, and it did at the Horseshoe Tavern, and and the invite was, if you ever work with Brendan, you're welcome to come. And you know, it was a good party. The uh, and that was in the year 2000. So then I started doing motorcycle trips and uh, hikes and, uh, and things like that. And I got a phone call from uh, Roger Martin, who had just been hired a year earlier at the Robin School. It had just been named. The Rotman School. It used to be the University of Toronto Business School. And uh, they found a fellow by the name of Joe Rotman, who I'd worked with, and um, he funded it, named it. And they found Roger Martin, and they brought him, uh, convinced him to stop being a management consultant at early age, early 40s, to come and build this school, because it was a no-name school. And he came. He found me, and he wanted me to come uh, to help him build it, because he had heard that I uh, I, I was customer-oriented. And um, you do whatever you want with everything you're hearing, anybody that's listening to this thing. Uh, prof- uh, schools, business schools are usually run as universities. They're run by professors for professors. Yeah. Okay. Academics. Yes. Uh, academics. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. But if you want to actually build a business school, a top 10 business school that actually makes a difference, other than research, I mean, with the people working, um, you got you got to organize around the students. And uh, so I helped them do that. It was supposed to be a three-year gig because I had nowhere else to go. Uh, I had a corporation. I was a board director of corporations. And um, and I'd said no to a couple of startups that I, I just wasn't in the mood to do. And um, uh, and I went. And that was 22 years ago. 
Wow. So that's a that's a long three-year stretch. Sounds like you're liking it. Yeah, and four four deans. Actually, I'm on my fourth dean. Nice. And, but this is the year um, that I've actually uh, given notice that I will leave at the end of the academic year, which is in June. You have to have permission to leave. You have to ask for permission to retire. Okay. Good to know. And they gave it to me. <laughs> nice. So we're going to talk a little bit about what your next chapter is going to look like. Okay. But what I wanted to ask you, so in terms of doing that switch from Bay Street over to business school, um, so I know that we're both fans of Peter Drucker. And one of my favorite books is The Effective Executive, which I've read more times than I can remember, written in 1966. And today, every page of that book is as relevant today as it was when it was written, I'm sure. Um, so I just want to ask you, based on your experience in leadership, do you see any fundamental differences between leadership when you first were starting out as a leader versus what you're seeing today with students in business school? Um, well, the uh, and I started off just after we wrote that book because it was it was it was one of the uh, it was one of the first books I found when I found my when I found myself in the position of leadership. I don't use the word leadership. It's like mother nature. It's like mother. It's mother. Everybody says it. Nobody knows what the hell it means. Um, um, so I don't use it very much. Um, um, uh, you can be a leader in a position of leadership. Uh, it means you're in a position to lead. That means usually you have people um, uh, that you can influence. So a position of leadership. Um, he talks about being an effective executive, not an effective leader. And um, so leadership is, um, now I have adjusted because that's the way the world is. And I now use leader manager a little more, but I would focus more on the word manager, which is output oriented. Okay. Yep. There's nothing wrong with the word leader and leadership. It does mean making something happen. It's just a little loosey goosey. Whereas, um, but the fundamentals are the same. When you're in a position of leadership, you're in, ability, in a position to lead, I influence the outputs of your organization, two or more people. Okay. Um, then the, the fundamentals are the same. They are actually the same. They're actually the same. And, and, and this guy, and I didn't mention this to you before, Dion, uh, but um, he also wrote this book. Yep. He wrote a several, a yeah. Bible. Yep. It is a Bible on management. And none of this has changed. He wrote this in the mid-80s. Now, it was right. revised uh, after he died about uh, 10 years ago and uh, forward by Jim Collins. So this is right up to date with his stuff, his words, but done in a way that uh, you realize it's not 40 years old. Okay, so, nice. The, the fundamentals have stayed the same. I won't go into them all, but no, not, nothing's changed. I mean, the fundamentals have stayed. Now, the good news is you've got more toys. Like, we got this. You know, you don't even have yes. to go to work, okay? You don't have to go to work. You got, um, so the fundamentals are, are the same. Once the fundamentals are decide what you want to get done, um, uh, figure out what you need to get it done, mostly the people matter the most, and then uh, work with those people to get it done. By the way, that's the name of the course that's lasted 22 years at the Rotten School. Well, that's actually my very next question because I know that it started when you were talking about you were bringing that business mind into, into business school where to, to your point, it is usually led by academics. So it's really bringing that business focus to people who are gonna be the future business leaders. And I know that your course, uh, Getting It Done, has been an award-winning course for, is it 22 years? Uh, we're just about to do our 22nd year, yeah. Yes. So what prompted you to launch that course once you joined Rotman? Okay. Well, I joined Rotman to actually manage the, the programs from the student point of view, not the content, content mm -hmm. of professors, but getting the students in 
and uh, making sure that they um, they were treated well and then making sure that they had an easy access to to jobs uh, all the stuff in the middle was what professors uh, were uh, were adding the content but um, so early I was there four or five months I guess oh more than, less than that two or three months and three students uh, JD MBAs they were joint J um, a lawyer of teaching taking law and MBA they walked in my office and they had a beautiful line that I uh, use all the time now they come into my office and they said, um, uh, Brendan, and I was a Brendan, I was not Mr. or anything like that. Brendan, where did we where did we learn about management at the Rotman School of Management? Uh-huh. This is not the Rotman School of Business. It's the Rotman School of Management. It's the faculty of management at the University of Toronto. They even knew a zillion years ago, management was a good word, okay? Yes. And, uh, and what, well, what a question. Where do you learn about management at the Rotman School of Management? When you looked at the... Um, the, um, uh, the curriculum, the mm-hmm. there were finance courses. Well, you did it. There were finance yep. courses. There was HR courses. There was this course. There was strategy courses. There's very little bit of it that had the word management all by itself. So um, I had been, well, I was, I was uh, doing a, um, a capstone day for another prof, a guy named David Beatty, uh, that uh, on strategy, and he'd asked me to come to do the capstone the last day. To which I asked him, I said, you want me to come on the 14th day of the course through the year after you've done strategy for 13 of the, the sessions? So I teach him how I do strategy? Tell him. I said, no, stupid. I want you to tell him how to get it done, how to get your strategy done, how to make it happen. Right. So that's where the phrase came from, getting it yep. done. It was the strategy. So I invited these three JD MBAs to the, my Saturday session, which would happen to be coming up. And they went nuts. They said, we got to have it. And I said, uh, you make it. I said, you make it happen and I'll be there. And they did. They um, they got the course as an experimental course. They got the course so they get a credit. And we took that semester and it was me and we brought in one more, me and four guys. And um, we we did a, a couple of people from uh, management consulting that I knew that were doing this kind of stuff. And they um, they did the course. And then that was the first one. Now it's longest lasting, most awarded MBA elective. <laughs> awesome. And it's about action orientation. And even when I talk about um, the time when I was working at your company, that's really what it was about. It was always output oriented. Everybody, I remember no matter what role you had, how junior or senior, it was very clear what you needed to do every day to be able to turn whatever output the organization needed to be successful uh, where scorecards reflected that. And yeah. that was so impactful in terms of making sure that everybody felt like, you know, they were contributing. They were important. If you don't get up and you show up tomorrow, that's <laughs> going to make a difference. So that was very difference. valuable. Yeah. And you asked earlier about the fundamentals. Here's another fundamental that hasn't changed. And it said um, it, it takes discipline to do that. And people still don't have the discipline to do it. They just talk about it. They talk about it. They talk about it. Uh, especially when you throw in the word leadership. You can make it last another uh, an hour and a half when you throw in the word leadership, okay? But if you actually have the discipline to do exactly what you just said and keep the discipline of doing it, what you felt, uh, it's amazing what gets done. And it's the right things done. Getting right. it done is getting the right things done. And I just want to point out another um, aspect to it as well is um, I've been in situations where I've had scorecards where honestly, they were probably like 25 different things. Um, Half of them were very 
you know, kind of, okay, what is exactly, what does that really mean? What exactly do I have to do? And that can be very frustrating because then you show up at your performance appraisal and it's very subjective, right? And it's like, well, I think I did that. I'm not sure. But really making things as tangible as possible. And also the respect I felt for as a as an employee of, I know you can't focus on 25 things every single day and do 25 <laughs> things really well. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure it's very clear to you what your focus needs to be. Yes, there are other things too, but yeah. you only need a few things. And it's the big stuff. The big yeah. stuff will make a difference. Yeah. And then actually, you'll, you'll remember when I remind you, we didn't call ours a scorecard. That was a bunch of accountants that uh, some HR people got excited about and they started doing scorecards. All of a sudden, you got a piece of paper from HR said, <laughs> here's your scorecard. <laughs> what well, we had, and you might remember the phrase, a performance agreement. It was yeah. an agreement between you and your, uh, we now use the word team leader instead of yep. boss, yep. team leader. You were a team member and your team leader. And it was an agreement on uh, for your performance. And we did it in terms of uh, uh, effectiveness areas, KIPs, key result areas. And you ended up coming up with objectives, agreeing together ahead of time. Yep. There were smart objectives, not just loosey-goosey. And then you had to, uh, I don't know if you remember, you had to weight them. So you get everyone has to be five percent minimum. That was the most important part. And you got you to know what your top three were. Yeah, absolutely. And then then you also got the piece of magic. You had a link between how big your bonus was going to be if you actually did it. Yes. On a weighted average. And it was very clear. No subjectivity, other than you know, around the edges a little bit. And then you were. Then there was a checkpoint every four months. You got two checkpoints, and then the performance appraisal. Yep. That's what works. But it also helps with prioritization, right? Because oh, absolutely. there are always a million things that are on the go at any given day. So knowing that these are my three top things is so critical in making sure that what we're focusing on is what we need to focus on. Absolutely. So, yes. And I was and I think I shared with you that you completely set me up because I just <laughs> assumed because I was very early in my career that I yeah. was working um, there. And. I just assumed everywhere operates like that. So it was a very <laughs> rude awakening after I moved on and I started to do other things. Great places, not so great places, but um, not everywhere was like that. But what it did do, because I had that experience so early, is I really understood that this is possible. Not only is it possible from an employee engagement and fulfillment perspective, but from an effectiveness, delivering the outputs, being successful. Um, so I always knew that. On the from the outside, it wasn't just like an airy fairy, you know. And it does take uh, it does take courage to actually uh, practice this stuff, even with an organization that that understands it. But especially with organizations don't understand it because you can't change everything. But right. you can. You are the boss of you. You are you are the boss of you. Okay. Absolutely. And you can can you manage yourself? Uh, in fact, that's one of his other famous books called Managing Oneself. Yep. And um, it, it um, you know. Those fundamentals will never go away. They'll just never go away. Unless you're a little rich kid or you got lucky someday. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if you actually wanted to get things, in fact, I just had a meeting this morning with one of my graduate students who comes from a, uh, a, a big um, uh, family, a uh, successful family, and he's right now on his own and he's understanding these things because right. there will be there will be no <laughs> uh, right. culture out there. He has to do it started himself. And it's fun. So talking about other fundamentals that I learned from you, one of the other keys that I that you've always talked about is to always be focused on helping people solve their problems. And um, that has been, I just wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit about how that has really been a successful practice for you throughout your career right. and finding right. success. The uh, 
Well, you start out with the premise that no one, no one's interested in you. Okay, I mean, they're not, when you're when you want something, um, they're they're really thinking about themselves. They're thinking about how do I survive, how do I fit, and everything like that. And so, if you start with a, a mindset, it's called listener train of thought. If you start with a mindset that says, "I'm going to be talking to somebody, and if I understand where they're coming from, from their point of view in the situation, and I help them get through this, uh, it'll work." It'll work better. So uh, listener train of thought. So you, you come up with the mind, what is their train of thought here? Um, if it's a subordinate or if it's a peer, uh, or especially if it's somebody above, you go in there not demanding what you want or what you need or here's what I want. No, no. You start up saying, you start up asking, say, what is the issue here? What is the issue? What is the concern you have? What is the problem you have? And then you, you put some energy into there saying, how do we solve that problem? And then you're working with them. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just easier because no yeah. one does what they're told. You can't go in there and tell them to do things because no one right. does what they're told. Right. And <laughs> it's can't. true. It's not just for people who are more senior than you. It's also for your team members, too. Absolutely. And you might be wrong. In fact, it's better not to go tell people what to do. Okay. Yeah. Now, sure, if they're about to uh, crash and dive over a cliff, you say, hey, no, no, why don't you pull it back a little bit for a little while while we talk, okay? So yeah. they, you don't pick them up at the bottom of the cliff. That's that's too hard. It's better to make sure they don't go over the cliff. But um it um, everybody innately uh, wants to achieve. They really do want to achieve. They want to they want to go home at night feeling good about they did something and were useful. Okay, not that all their friends like them. Not that uh, they got even with somebody. I mean, they, 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 they want to you know what did I achieve today? What did I move the ball forward a little bit? And you help them do that. And it's amazing. Not only does it get a lot of things done. It, it, it uh, creates, in other words, it's overused, but if you use it right, uh, loyalty. I mean, when, when, there's a, uh, you know, when, when there's a chance for that person to go one way versus the other, they'll err on the side of someone um, that um, they, they, they owe some loyalty to, that they owe something to because of that relationship. And that's how you build it up. Absolutely. It's not through command and control. It's through right. this involvement. And building relationships. So I have one more question for you um, before we go on to find out what you're going to be doing next. And that is when I was searching around online, um, seeing what people are saying about you, one of the number oh. I have been, I've been doing my research. I haven't one, done it. Where do, where do you find this? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but one of the one of the t- one of the comments that came up that recurred the most is they talked about how good you are at um, at building leaders and succession planning. So I was just gonna ask you a question. So when you're looking for somebody, um, like when you look at looking for somebody who has whatever that is, that who's gonna be a strong leader, what what specific types of things do you look for? When you see it, you're like, yes, this person is gonna be good in a management role. The, because um, I always used to um, hire managers, of course, uh, the, um, uh, the actual uh, specialists were usually somebody else's uh, thing, but they were managers. The um, um, first of all, uh, I did look at what had they already achieved. Okay, because I was at, I didn't have time to. We didn't have. We weren't a big organization. We we're always building. We we're lean and keen. Not lean and mean. Lean and keen. And we weren't into uh, training programs or anything like that. I mean, we weren't into training programs. The whole day was a training program. Yeah, you know, we weren't into training programs. We didn't even have a management training program. We just said, "Here's how you get ahead. Do this, then this, then this. Boom." As opposed to do that and do that. And it was this and this. And we, uh, I would uh, look, uh, this would be personally, I would look at what they'd already achieved. Mm-hmm. Usually they found, either we went after them because they were the right, we thought they were the right person, or they found us. And then 
you look at them and ask them how they actually dealt with things. And if they were, um, if you could tell that they weren't focused on themselves alone, if there was any indication that they really were involved with the situation as opposed to, I did this, I changed this, I did this, I did that. If there was a lot more, um, this is where we had to do things. It's, you know, it's way more nigh. Um, that, that went the right way. And then, of course, I collaborated with my, my I never ever hired someone on my own. There was always a collaboration with the people that uh, this new person would have to work with. And uh, um, and that's 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 what makes it work. That's what makes it work. But you make sure they have the skills. Now, on startups, uh, you don't look for the nicest person um, uh, that you can live with uh, when you need a programmer that can program 47 things in three hours. Get somebody to program 47 things in three hours, okay? <laughs> and that's what they want, okay? That's what they want. What do they need? How do you make it work? And that's what they need, okay? Because that's what you need. So startups... Uh, it's very more focused on um, on skills only, mm-hmm. very specific skills. Like you don't go hire a nice, even halfway through, you don't go hire a nice, great, effective manager to be your CFO. If the guy doesn't know how to count. You know, he doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know arithmetic. Okay, you got to have the skills. Yes. But that's interesting because when you talk about what you look for in terms of um, we versus uh, what I did personally, that goes back to what you had just said about um, trying to solve problems. So it's never yeah. about this is why I'm so great. This is about here. The, here's what I can bring to the table. Here's how I could contribute. Here's yeah, how we yeah, can be successful exactly. together. So that's yeah. and and interestingly enough, and this was not a setup. That's actually was my experience um, working there, working at your company as well. Is that um, I was thrown in so many times in the deep end and and told, "Listen, we know you can swim." And every time I swam, I got some water in my mouth. Sometimes, <laughs> right. But every time I swam and I, there was support there, obviously, yeah. but one of the best things that I learned coming out of that experience as well was I learned how to learn. I learned when I yeah. don't know what's going on, it, that's a skill all of itself. How do you get up to speed really quickly? Yeah. So that's definitely kind of like a life survival skill that I've Absolutely. used so much more in my career. Yeah, and if there's an environment where you can talk to people, uh, and that's that's what you should look for when you're looking for a job or you get interviewed a job. What is the atmosphere? Can can I actually talk to people? Okay. Totally. Uh, well, you might remember we had a phrase just to make sure because we were lean and keen. I mean, we didn't have zillions of people floating around, and said, um, uh, you know, all information is free, and it's available. All information is available, and it's free. Okay, except personal information. So if you wanted to know how something worked, if you wanted to know what it cost for that machine over there, it was available. Yep. Totally. That was going to help you get through. We wanted it. Okay. There was no secrets. Yes. Definitely yeah. a great experience. So I do thank you for that. You did say that you've given your notice. So so you're yeah. winding down your time at Rotman. So what's next for you? Well, for the last 20 years, it's or 21 years, it's been Rotman Corporations, three big corporations. Um, and board, and then um, uh, sort of at the bottom end was um, uh, health and family and um, and, um, and and financial. Because you know, I, I stopped making money twenty years. Okay, <laughs> and so you got to keep the way you have to keep living on it. I, I corporate board fees and things like that, but I stopped managing big companies. So I um, um, I'm transitioning to from Rotman corporate and personal to uh, uh, family, travel, and mind body, mind slash body. Uh, I have two daughters, one that's raising a family in London, England, and raising Brits. She fell in love with a Brit, then she married the Brit, now she's raising Brits. Got two little Brits. And the other one fell in uh, love with an Aussie, and she lives in Australia. 
and uh, so there's room for uh, family and travel because you go to either direction. There's a million other side parks. Yeah. But you got to give up stuff. You know, got to go. Because you can't, you can't travel a lot if you're up to be back all the time. Yeah. And um, uh, so the family and the travel and then uh, the mind body, I started many years ago um, before I met you. I got into uh, I got into um, understanding and well, going doing mountains and things like that. And I got into Buddhism, you know, as a just understand as a philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I'll put more time into practicing and things like it's not a belief system. You know, there's no uh, there's no cult factor to it, but it is a, a fantastic little philosophy. And uh, I'll put more energy in that. I mean, I'm uh, I'm at the age where um, a, a wise psychologist at Brotman told me, Brendan, death is always on your shoulder. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know, you know, and I um, you know, I'm 75 now. I only acknowledge that I'm in my 70s now. I only accepted that I'm in my 70s a week and a half ago. Okay, so I said, holy shit, death thing. You know, might as well, might as well just get my head straight now and stay healthy and all that stuff. So that's where I'm going to spend my time and. Uh, like 20 years ago, no specific other than London and um, and Brisbane, uh, nothing else specific. Yeah, I do have lots uh, in between. Oh yeah, well I do have. Uh, I'm one of the few people left in the world that uses a uh, a day a, timer. A day timer, and they said, "What you still use that?" I said, "Don't worry, I got these." Every once in a while, I have to have a place <laughs> a place marker. You know, I have to yes. have a place marker. You know, but um, uh, I keep notes. I keep notes. Yeah. I've been doing this for 40, 50 years. There's yeah. a story in each note. I'm going to write stories that are in, uh, that are um, inspired by real events. Like this, not going to be a biography or anything like that. Right. But those, those you mentioned earlier, um, somebody counted. We have generated out of that company. We uh, and its predecessors, we generated 14 presidents. Yep. Every one of them is a great story. That's I that's don't even have to be, even have to be accurate. I'll just tell a story about them. Yeah. One. <laughs> That I mean, you know awesome. some of them. I, I mean, you could, uh, you could. I mean, they, they didn't, they didn't fall off the turnip truck. You know, they they had to do things, and but it created precedents. No, that's a good story. Of Why? course. How come? Did, which ones lasted? Which ones did? Which yes. ones are happy? Which ones are sad? Plus, you have a whole group of um, graduate students as well now who have graduated from and who are now going on, and they're going to be doing great things as well. So it's not probably just going to be 14 presidents. It's probably going to be several more. (laughs) Well, we'll see. So there's 500 plus uh, graduates from our course, uh, plus guest students, plus guest speakers. And uh, and you're right. The ones that were there uh, 20 years ago are now 50. What happened to them? One of them just became a president, actually, um, last week. 15. 15. You're up to 15. 15 presidents. Oh, yeah, exactly. One just yeah. came, but they actually came out of Rotman, so it's a new dynamic. Didn't come yeah. out of the businesses, came out of Rotman. But I did get him his job way, way back, and uh, I was I was a mentor to him all the way through. It's a, it's a multi, it's a $2 billion operation. He's doing quite well. And then the other guy, um, the other thing is, um, uh, you know, the ones that are uh, started um, 10 years ago, they're now 40, because they're always 30 years old. You go back every year in my class, they're always 30 years old. It's a second year MBA. Yep. Always 30 years old. And one of them said it many years ago when we asked her, she was from Eastern Europe, and we asked her, uh, why'd you choose? Because you, you have to choose this course. You have to bid for it and everything. So, why'd you choose this course? She says, well, it was the only course I could find. It was elective. You have to choose it and bid for it. The only course I could find, it was a doing course and not a memorizing course. So these people took it as a doing course. Well, what are they doing now? Big things. If they're just human beings, well, then they're just beings. I want to know if they're human doings. See what's going on. Nice. 
So it'll be nice to check up on those over time. But I wish you all the best in terms of your last year. And I hope that I do get invited to the, the retirement party that I'm sure you're going to be throwing for yourself. Well, it'll be an alumni party. It'll be, it'll be a coincidental event. You're right. No problem. If you enjoyed that interview, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, My Lemonade Stand. You can also stream it off of your favorite podcast streaming platform. Looking forward to seeing you next time.